0: Greetings from the Cosmic Horror. The stars are right once again and the Great Old Ones that I want to talk about for 30-plus minutes, H.P. Lovecraft, the horror writer who is a genre on to himself. I am your cosmic host, Mark Griffin, executive of Lovecraft Estate on Yaga, joined in by two from the material world, David Guffey, a professor at Ms. University, and Richard Wilson, who wants to warn everyone about the Lovecraft industrial complex. Today's guest is Lehman Kessler, a.k.a. H.P. Lovecraft. Welcome, Mr. Kessler.
1: It's my absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, For 10 years, you dressed up as Lovecraft and let people ask you questions via YouTube, and you answer them via YouTube, Uh, yet you did not grow up reading Lovecraft.
1: That is very true. Uh, My brothers are about a decade older than me, and so I had a lot of sort of classic sci-fi and fantasy all throughout the house growing up. You know, Heinlein, Asimov, and the like, but Lovecraft was not on their sort of reading list. Wasn't on my parents' reading list. Uh, they were much more into Agatha Christie and Graham Greene and things like that. So as far as you know, being a young guy running around, sort of you know, pulling books off shelves and and discovering things, it, Lovecraft just wasn't on on the list. I, I learned about Lovecraft well <laughs> specifically I learned about Cthulhu from playing the old Steve Jackson card game Illuminati. Where the servants of Cthulhu were one of the main factions, and then I even wound up getting sometime in the nineties the the Lovecraft collectible card game Mythos. Again, had no idea who Lovecraft was; just thought, "Ooh, this looks fun." Um, um, amigo, amigo, why that looks like a fun creature? And then I even played the role playing game in college, and still had not read a single one of his stories at that point, One of my friends had Lovecraft as like his his like screen pick on on a- AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> and so that was sort of the the first time I ever saw him, and then I I went to Canada when uh, I got married and worked at a bookstore. And a friend of mine was like, "Look, Lehman, you have to read Lovecraft. He just he's he's phenomenal. You got to check him out. He's so important to everything of horror." Like I was the horror guy at Blockbuster. I I saw the Necronomicon movie with jeffrey combs playing hp lovecraft and still had not read a single lovecraft story but it wasn't until i worked at this bookstore that i was like okay we have all these lovecraft books i'm just gonna like check this one out and read it and see what all the fuss is i was like okay this is fun i get this this is this is you know okay now i see kind of what the the kind of the big deal is and then as um and then it's actually been longer than 10 years because it was i think around 2000. 10 or 2011 when a friend of mine asked me to be in a stage play about Lovecraft and that was the first time I donned his his flesh suit and began uh, pr- prancing about as Lovecraft. Um, so that was kind of my my how I got into that whole whole scene. And was that Monstrous Invisible? That was Stephen Nears Monstrous Invisible. Stephen worked with me at my bookstore and I had been in a previous play with him Uh, He had written a play all set at a LARP convention, which was dealt with horror themes and whatnot. And so he knew that I could play those kind of themes and play in that world and wasn't afraid of doing things a little uh, out of the ordinary and in kind of sort of weird venues. And he remembers that. I don't remember it, but he remembers us having a conversation about Lovecraft and his wife. And you know, me introducing, saying, hey, you got to go check up Sonia Green. She's this fascinating figure. You You know, go, go check her out. I think you'll think she's really, you'll find her interesting. And then from that conversation, he got the idea of writing a play about their, their brief marriage. And we did a sort of a very short 10 minute, 10, 15 minute version of that play with my theater company in Toronto. And then we wound up doing a much longer, like, like, well, much longer, like, like 30, 40 minute version of the play. And that was what kind of really kicked me into gear as far as thinking him as a character and thinking him as this person that I enjoyed portraying and kind of getting into that suit and mindset as far as uh, as far as an actor obviously there's a lot of things about lovecraft personally that I I don't necessarily <laughs> like to uh embody but he's a fascinating figure he's a he's a, you know full of contradictions full of of sort of just a weird history a lot of public mis- misconceptions about him And as an actor, that's that's perfect. That's just that's there's a never ending supply of interesting takes and interesting sort of things that you can embody and play with uh, in the midst of some of the more unpleasant, unsavory elements as well.
0: So what was the play like? Was it just like two people talking or was there more going on?
1: Yeah. So the, the sort of the basic premise, it was kind of a bit dreamy. So, you know, it starts with Lovecraft coming out of the sort of shadow when like after his death, like kind of talking about, you know, this, this sort of nightmarish horror that's that's surrounding him. And, and then it kind of fades into him, you know, his past and, and his meeting Sonia and interacting with her and sort of her coming into in, into and out of his life over the years. And then play ends with them splitting, you know, her needing to move on and him, needing to go, wanting to go back to Rhode Island and they're just drifting apart. Um, and, and then sort of returns back to that void. Like the whole thing had this kind of, you know, dreamlike, somewhat nightmarish quality to it. And it was a lot of fun. And and he's done a much bigger version uh, where I think like Totep shows up. There's this sort of kind of like interlocutor like force that's like, you know, pulling the strings and 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 tormenting him. Uh, the version we did was not did not have the, the the budget for you know a third character. It was just the two of us.
0: <laughs> so you had no involvement with the longer version.
1: The um... uh no, by that point I think I had left Canada. So and um or if not even if not he he had sort of moved to a different city and was part of kind of a different scene at that point. So uh, I was um yeah I was not involved with that.
0: And so the guy who played Lovecraft in that one, how did he compare to you?
1: You know, I never saw. <laughs> so i'm sure he did a fantastic job and uh I, I i still for the longest time claimed the mantle of uh canada's foremost lovecraft impersonator and now of course i'm I, I say i'm ohio's foremost lovecraft impersonator uh you know it's it's a small group there's there's you know jeffrey Combs. uh there's uh i think chris Heyerdahl is another actor who's i think also canadian um who portrayed lovecraft there's a very uh famous like clip I think it was part of an anthology or something, but Chris Heyerdahl dressed up as Lovecraft and sort of, you know, did this whole sort of bit, but they like, they filmed it in black and white and they used kind of like grainy audio. So for the long, there were, there were tons of folks who thought that was the actual Lovecraft for years because he did such a great job and they filmed it in this very period way. So there's, uh, but yeah, there's, and, and there's been other uh, stage plays and and other adaptations that, that you know, use Lovecraft as a character, and I think there's a whole musical, Lovecraft musical that's out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of us who have decided to, to, you know, step into that, into that flesh mask for a little bit. And uh, but I, I, I definitely, I definitely did it for possibly the longest. <laughs> I think uh, doing the YouTube series uh, from uh, 2012 to, to to this year to this summer, and and most consistently. I mean, for a long time, I was doing about three episodes a week. That was sort of the the schedule I set for myself. And uh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of Lovecraft. I started putting together something of a an archive just to kind of, you know, list all the episodes uh, in order and by date and all this stuff. And I still haven't completed it because uh, there are there there's there's over a thousand. <laughs> I mean, I just I just, you know, that three a week adds up. <laughs>
0: i imagine that would uh you first were asked to like do like a web series is that correct Is lovecraft
1: so yeah so there was a there was a a youtube a a friend of mine who was on what a youtube show or there was a precursor to youtube or like a a competitor with youtube i can't remember what they were called now and anyway they had a show and they were doing they were doing lovecraft uh, a whole summer of lovecraft and so they wanted to uh they wanted to, you know, talk about, I think, yeah, uh, the Charles Strauss laundry novels. They wanted to talk about some of the games. Uh, yeah, and, and they had seen me do this play. They they were part of the same LARPing scene that my friend Stephen was part of. So they knew that, you know, they knew, oh, hey, if I want to do Lovecraft, I know someone now who can do Lovecraft. And so I'm going to bring him in and film him just being in my kitchen, talking about these, you know, his, you know, responding to a reanimator or from beyond or things like, or the, um, to catch, to cast a deadly spell. I remember that was one of the films he reviewed. Uh, so there's, there's another actor who's, who's played a Lovecraft, although that version is of course very different. <laughs> very. The, the steel jawed gumshoe Lovecraft. <laughs> version. And so that was a lot of fun that And that, that really, you know, playing that character again and doing a bit, you know, though somewhat scripted a little bit improv that was, you know, I think that was, you know, May, or so we filmed early. We filmed kind of, I think, spring and and whatnot. And so when I got into my mind that I wanted to do a web series, that was still fairly recent. So that was that was the immediate precursor to my being, on, starting up Ask Lovecraft. And I folded that into the canon, the idea of this Canadian sorcerer uh, resurrecting Lovecraft. So to do uh, movie reviews, <laughs> and uh, I, I sort of played in that world.
0: So you started, um, you jumped over to Ask Lovecraft. And um... yeah,
1: so yeah, ask Lovecraft. I'm I'm trying to find the actual first episode uh date, uh was June 26, 2012. And that was, yeah, and I and I I started up and you know the very first episode is just you know me asking for questions. And I went to social media and other places and said, Hey, I'm gonna be doing this Lovecrafting. You know, if anyone's got questions for Lovecraft, let me know. I remember uh this, you know, dates me. Um uh, I was thinking where should I go where's like a where are like the Lovecraft people hanging out I know Yahoo groups I went to like the Yahoo groups <laughs> boards and like went through and was like hey is anyone interested in like asking Lovecraft a question like I'd be happy to answer and it worked out because like a handful of folks from that you know ran with it and sent it around and it got to the the larger Lovecraft communities on Facebook and, and Twitter and elsewhere and it, it just you know bit by bit kind of took off and after a while, I was like, oh, wow, people are actually watching this thing and sending in lots and lots of letters and lots and lots of questions. I, I, I guess I'm going to keep doing this. And 10 years later, uh, that was still still going.
0: Now, you kind of betray Lovecraft as almost like somebody who's evolved, you know, since his death, you know, that his.
1: Well, it's interesting, right? Like I talk about, you know, you never go full Lovecraft. I don't think the show is watchable if you go mm-hmm. if you try to be completely historically accurate. Um you know, and it was, it was a question, right. You know, if you go back to those early episodes, I think I am trying to be a little bit like more shocking and uh, play up some of that kind of, you know, unsavory sides of things. But, you know, part of it was the idea that wasn't just, this isn't just, you know, Lovecraft in the thirties, this is Lovecraft in the 2010s and the 2020s, right? Like what does that do? What happens if you are taken out of your time and, you know, not only do you wake up, you know, 80 years later, but it's 80 years later, and you are a celebrity. You are known. You are uh you have a legacy, uh, and a legacy that 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 wasn't, you know, what you left behind. And so I really wanted to play with that and the response to that. And and yeah, you know, I, I never I didn't want to make like like Lovecraft, you know, completely like recants of all of his odious views and you know, like that would just that felt that didn't feel honest, that didn't feel like a, a, um, you know, that didn't feel like it was either honoring the person or or those issues, right? Like that's easy. It's easy to be like, oh, those, those other views, I absolutely, yes, I, I recant all of that and, and I believe all the, the socially acceptable things to believe these days. It's, you know, that's just, that's not, that's not interesting. You know, but at the same time, I wasn't gonna be like, I'm going to double down and I'm going to tell you woke people what you've got wrong. You know, because that also would just be intolerable and and not fun. So, so it was a, it was a tightrope. It was a tightrope, and you know, it especially comes across uh, when I when I do my live shows. And my live shows, you know, I'm taking unvetted questions from you know complete strangers, and you'll have folks who just be like. Tell us about your cat, you know, and things like that. And you've got to be able to respond in the moment and not just like suddenly, you know, have a, a heated gamer moment. But you know, you want to make sure that you're being um that you're being funny because this is a comedy show. This is not meant to just, you know, bum everyone out by being like, let me give you a, a three-hour explanation of why the Portuguese are not actually white. And, you know. <laughs> so, you know, playing with that, right? And 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 Remembering that you know this was a comedy, you know, and I'm creating a caricature, a homunculus, you know. And anytime anyone was just like, "Well, Lovecraft wouldn't have said that," or "Lovecraft didn't sound like that," I could just always be like, "Well, you know, this is Lovecraft of the 2010s, and like a bunch of like brainworms have like chewed at his skull, you know, for for decades. So what do you expect? People are gonna, people are gonna change."
0: Sounds good. Now you found Lovecraft fascinating, but didn't care too much for his stories, or found him okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, they're not the kind of things that I, I. Sort of be like, ah, you know what? Uh, it's a it's a Tuesday evening, and I've got a nice glass of port. I'm gonna sit down with some Dream Quest. Like I I, I read I read them and, and found them interesting, and I you know I go back from time to time and and sort of like kind of explore. But you know, it's not what I grew up with. You know, I was I was much more on the 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 Douglas Adams, Terry Pratchett, uh, Neil Gaiman sort of stream. And you know, you imprint on stuff when you're young, and you find stuff when you're older. And Lovecraft, I think, you know, so many people, so many people discovered Lovecraft as teenagers and imprinted on him as teenagers. I do think he kind of speaks to that, that, that developing mind in a lot of ways, right? You know, you know, the fact that he's got a, you know, story called The Outsider, you know, (laughs) I think, you know, there's uh, uh, one of my friends was talking about how the, 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 the idea of Lovecraft, maybe not Lovecraft himself, but the idea of Lovecraft is kind of this nerd, right? This idea of this kind of self-taught autodidact, like, you know, very, you know, precocious and sort of brilliant, but also like not, you know, not never formally educated, you know, didn't go to college, you know, sort of, you know, was learning things on the fly, drawing monsters in his notebook. I mean, you know, it it reads like you're sort of your freaks and geeks, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons playing, you know, story. And so, you know, Lovecraft, or again, that this idea we have of Lovecraft as this kind of, you know, you know, loner shut away talking about monsters and things like that, you know, it, it matches what I think a lot of people's, uh, you know, middle school or high school experienced, at least felt like, whether it is the reality, you know, that's up to someone else.
0: There is one story that mm-hmm. seems to resonate with you of his the sweet Irma
1: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, *Sweet Ermengarde* is so fascinating because it is so unlike anything else he wrote. And so I, you know, when people ask, you know, what's the, you know, the best story? Or what should I read? You know, I jokingly say *Sweet Ermengarde*. And I, I do that because I think, you know, if you read Sweet Armengard, you realized, oh, like there's more here than just, you know, an antiquarian, you know, writing letters and, and you know, digging through old New England archives and discovering something terrible about his ancestors, you know, there's a sense of humor. Uh, my, my show really changed uh, when I began reading his letters. You know i'd done some research for playing him on the stage played uh but i hadn't like got a hold of his letters until i realized that there were a whole bunch of them uh at or the, the sort of the the published versions and annotated versions of his letters in the toronto library system and i went uh one day and just sat down and began reading through a bunch of them and they were so funny like he had such a sense of humor he was so kind of like self-deprecating but also catty And, you know, dishing on other writers and just, he had, there was a personality there and it was, it's very different from what I think the kind of the pop mentality of Lovecraft is, right? I think there is this image of Lovecraft and largely it's based on Lovecraft's own self-deprecation, right? As this, this, you know, shut away, uh, misanthrope, you know, sitting in an attic kind of glowering at the world, not wanting to have anything to do with anyone or anybody, but just wanted to be left alone to his, his books and his monsters. And the reality is a guy who, you know, sat on the park and wrote wrote his stories and then wrote letters to dozens of correspondents across the country, you know, to people that he was interested in and wanting to connect with. And it's... You know, and he was telling jokes, and he was, you know, trying to connect them with other people and help them in their careers, and offering advice, and traveling to meet them. You know, he was social in a, and and outgoing and gregarious in a way that doesn't match the kind of pop cultural, you know, image we have of this this you know kind of glowering, stern faced, you know, jutting jawed, um, just sort of yeah, misanthrope.
0: So how would you find the voice for
1: Lovecraft? The the actual voice itself uh, was born out of necessity because I had to have something that I could you know project on stage without kind of throwing out my voice, um, you know, but also not be just so completely comic, and, you know, you know that kind of that that kind of broad New England accent is easy to do, but it it's not particularly compelling when you're trying to do sort of like a drama, and so. Uh, you know, the, 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 the voice that kind of came out was this, you know, I, I call it sort of Fraserian. It's got that kind of, you know, Fraser crane, you know, sort of, it's, you know, there's a bit of that transatlantic quality to it. It's clipped, you know, much of it, you know, it's, 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 it's in the sort of back of the throat, but you're still using a great deal of the the tongue and the, the front of the mouth as well. And, and it's, it's, it's meant to be able to, you know, invoke a whole lot of different ideas. It's not supposed to be sort of set in one particular place or time. Now, if I were being like really pedantic and really, you know, trying to be accurate to what Lovecraft was uh, based on letters and what we've, you know, what we know. He probably would have been a lot more high pitched and, and really, it would have been like, oh, the thing about monsters and Cthulhu is they come at you from all your nightmares. And that's, you know, that might be more accurate, but probably less fun to listen to on a on a three times a week uh, <laughs> web series or uh, in, a, in a, you know, even in a 20 minute stage play. <laughs>
0: So were you like playing with your voice as a kid, you know, like making oh. it kind of different?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, I was definitely, you know, that kind of that doing, you know, mimicking folks I saw in movies. Uh, I I remember hours and hours and hours spent playing the LucasArts uh, Secret of Monkey Island game, doing all like these different ranges of voices. And yeah, voice acting was something that I was always very interested in and uh, got into more and more as I got older, and it's it's something I still really enjoy doing. I love doing audiobooks. I love doing podcasting. I love just playing with my voice and getting to do lots of different fun things with it. And it's part of why eventually there wound up being so many more characters on the Ask Lovecraft web series was that I wanted to play with different voices and play with different energies and and styles. And so that's how you wind up with Carl Sagan suddenly becoming a recurring character or Lovecraft having this uh, weird like Louisiana uh, doppelganger evil twin. Uh, you know, you just it was something different and something fun to kind of play with.
0: So did you you kind of look like Carl Sagan? So did you like also play with that as well?
1: Uh, I I look like Carl Sagan when I, when I can like, you know, puff out my, when my hair is grown up and, and Sagan, Sagan, that came out of a different stage play that I did uh, where uh, in Toronto, where as a, as a throwaway gag, uh, there was like a a secondary character and they're like, can you do it like Sagan? I was like, Oh, let me see if I can find Carl Sagan somewhere in the back of my throat. And, and, and that was fun. And I, yeah, I just decided that I'm gonna do some more Carl Sagan. And then I've done Carl Sagan for other improv shows. Uh, there's the sort of a Chautauqua readings uh, that we do out here. Um, and I've done I've done Sagan for that. And he's a lot of fun. I like doing Sagan.
0: Uh, did you have to do a lot of research on him as well? Or?
1: Uh, yeah, I did. Um, and of course, you know, w- watched a lot of Cosmos. And um, I mean, Sagan was interesting because, you know, he's one of these larger than life characters that, you know, as I was researching him, I was finding out, you know, sort of things, you know, real truths about him that were way, way sillier and wackier than the stuff I was trying to come up with to make fun of him. Like, OK, well, this is a person who's sort of beyond parody in some ways, but always very fun. Um, a, a the sort of opposite version of that was uh, I did a, a show as Peter Sellers and did a lot of research uh, on Peter Sellers and that that was a bummer man the more you learn about peter sellers and peter (laughs) sellers life you're like oh man like say what you will about lovecraft like at least he there was something there there was he was you know it wasn't just kind of this gaping black void of sadness
0: (laughs) and then the ph lovecraft what was the i guess the motivation of having like this like this evil brother
1: well uh it it came out of the fact that uh you know shortly after i started the series i i took a, a vacation and i didn't shave and when i came back i had you know some facial hair and i thought oh would it be funny if i i sort of you know just took out you know put on the spock goatee and and did an evil twin and you know there's no there's no trope i'm not willing to shamelessly mine for content and so you know the idea okay what's the opposite of hp lovecraft will be ph lovecraft okay and what's the opposite of like you know sort of a an, an uptight new englander well it'd be a sort of a vivacious southerner and i'm from i'm from tennessee i'm not from whatever part of the south uh ph's voice comes from but you know i'm, I'm from the, the south and so i was able to kind of draw on a little bit of stuff there and that was something that i realized very quickly it allowed me to offer up commentary on Lovecraft. Not as Lovecraft, so you know. One of the first episodes I did that that tackled Lovecraft's racism head on was as Ph, and allowed me to like you know play with these themes, play with um, you know having this kind of outside observer in uh, in a way that would have been very strange to have like Lovecraft himself commenting on, um, and and he was just a fun foil to Lovecraft and able to irritate Lovecraft. Uh, very quickly, uh, I introduced Lehman Kessler, hapless producer as a character and sort of like the scooter to the to the Muppet show and, uh, you know, being uh, able to be harassed by both HP and PH in very different ways as this hapless Lehman Kessler uh, was was a lot of fun. And and again, just let me play with this play in this world in in different ways and find different energies and different methods of of engaging with this material.
0: You dress a little more relaxed when you play like Lehman Kessler. Is that something you actually wear out in public?
1: <laughs> so that my hope, my uh, my aloha shirt. Yeah. Uh, I I don't wear that except when I'm uh, going on vacation and trying to annoy my wife by looking like some like a stereotypical like dad on vacation.
0: Uh, there have been times when Ph has is, is like appeared off camera. He like say something. Is that something you add in like afterwards or how is that done exactly?
1: Yeah. So, so that was the other thing was that, you know, doing the PHP business allowed me to play with editing and play with, you know, having conversations, right. You could have kind of a back and forth and yeah, either I would either film, you know, two separate things and kind of stitch them together, you know, especially if there's like, you know, an a, a action reaction kind of business, or I would, you know, film Lovecraft and then like there'd be silences. And then I would go in and record PH's audio and and put that in. And figuring out the timing of that was always challenging. You know, my my goal with the show and what I sort of told myself was, look, if I make the show really complicated with lots of editing and lots of of like actual technical proficiency and, and, and you know, whatnot, uh, I'm never going to do it because it's going to take forever and I'm going to talk myself out of it. So I needed to make it as low impact as possible, which is why almost everything is one shot. Because then I don't have to edit anything. All I have to do is clip the beginning and end and put it up and that's it. Um, you know, when you start having multiple, you know, I had a lot of takes <laughs> because doing it all in one shot is is a challenge. <laughs> when if you flub something, you got to start the whole thing over again. But it uh, it was a great, ac- it was a great acting exercise and a great acting challenge. And I really liked it. And I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed playing with that. And and then, yeah, whenever I had to do something with with different characters and stitch these all together, it definitely made things a bit more uh, a bit more technically challenging for me. But, uh, you know, I did that sparingly. I think there's, um, you know, there's one episode where I I swap between characters in camera all in the same take uh, because it's about masks. And I'm, 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 you know, I'm, they're wearing a mask and the mask is swapping and the costumes are swapping. And as this costumes change, the voice changes. And that's like the only sort of time, you know, sort of, it breaks the fourth wall and acknowledges, you know, the kind of what's going on. Um, But it's all within the kind of the sphere of, um, you know, it's, it's the mask doing the talking, not the actual person. And that was a very fun acting acting exercise of of flowing between all these different characters and you know going from Lovecraft to PH to Lehman and back again. And then later on, right towards the end of the the whole arc, I did I did an episode where it was each of the characters playing different Character, so you had like hp being carl sagan and carl sagan being ph and ph being lehman and lehman being jaboy and all and and it was uh you know that's that was uh that was a ton of fun but also um you know was was a little uh a little strange
0: that sounds like a black mirror episode or something <laughs> orphan black i mean orphan black episode
1: <laughs> well yeah and and yeah having to you know pretend to be someone who is pretending to be someone who is technically you but anyway
0: all right, up. Uh, you made a, a comment like in other interviews and stuff like that. It's easy to dehumanize Lovecraft. He's an antisocial racist, uh, but you don't praise him. But you marry his humanity. He said he's not a misanthrope. I was wondering if you could explain about like his about his humanity. Uh, you know, usually you don't consider like a racist as being very hum- humanitarian.
1: Well, okay. No, there, I guess there's a difference between humanitarian and human. You know, and I think an issue with with Lovecraft and criticism, either criticism or fanishness of Lovecraft is that it erases his essential humanity and it erases Mm -hmm. the complexity and the nuance of who he is. Right. You have a lot of folks who, again, want to view Lovecraft either on this pedestal as this, you know, great genius, you know, living in his in his attic and, and just churning out, you know, visionary works that that transformed literature. And that and that ignores his humanity and ignores his connection to the literary world around him. Right. Lovecraft was the first person to tell you that he was standing on the shoulder of giants and that he was, you know, riffing off of what Poe did and what Arthur Mackin did. Dunsany, Ambrose Bierce, you know, all these these writers that came before him. Robert W. Chambers. I mean, poor, poor Robert W. Chambers, you know, you know is barely remembered outside of certain fan communities. Uh, whereas, you know, if you talk about Carcosa or Haster, the King in Yellow, folks would be like, oh, right, I think that Lovecraft story. It's like, no, nope, no, nope, that's not that, you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Lovecraft was part of an ecosystem and was, you know, he and and his fellow writers were exchanging letters and were critiquing each other's works and and playing in the same space, right? Like they were referencing each other and referencing each other's monsters and sharing, like they were all kind of, you know, scrabbling in the toy chest together. And that's that's lost if you kind of try to paint Lovecraft as this, you know, this solitary, you know, titan of literature. And then, of course, there's the, the criticism of his bigotry and the criticism of his racism and his social views. And that, you know, that also can erase a lot of his essential humanity and sort of just treat him as this, this monster uh, who, you know, just is sort of slavering away in a corner or or cowering in fear of um you know everyone and anyone. And so, you know, I don't I don't shy away from his bigotry. You know, I I wrote an entire uh uh, sort of essay, you know, called On Portraying a White Supremacist, um, where I talk very, very openly and candidly about the challenge of of stepping into that role and playing this person and trying not to Trying not to erase that part of him, or ignore that part of him, um, or make my performance of him a celebration of of those uh, qualities, because I mean, the the reality is there are folks out there who who don't ignore Lovecraft racism, but do indeed praise him for it and and read him and celebrate him because of those views, and that's that's not great. Um, so I think it's very important that you know we you sort of stand up. Uh, and you draw those kind of lines, um, but at the same time, I don't think that means that we cannot read Lovecraft or enjoy Lovecraft or play in that world or indeed dress up as him uh, and explore the themes that he embodied. Um, you just have to be very careful about it and sensitive to it and be willing to have the conversation whenever it, it comes up. You know, I think there's a there's a very two dimensional image of, of quote unquote cancel culture. You know. Where folks worry that any criticism is somehow saying all these books have to be thrown on the fire, as opposed to no, they just mean we have to be aware of this and be aware of this impact and understand, you know, what Lovecraft said and did and and very openly believed, um, while also sort of being aware of the context in which he lived, the community in which he moved in, and of course how things changed. Right, I I, I do I'm I'm one of the folks who do think that the kind of the kind of deathbed confession is. Um, uh overplayed in the lovecraft world i think there's a lot of folks who really want to believe that he was just on the verge of of getting better and and turning it around and had he just lived a little bit longer uh then he wouldn't be as problematic a figure Uh, i don't i don't think that's true i think he still was you know even even as he was getting better he was still pretty bad (laughs) um even for the 1930s um but you know he is who he was and that can't change you know we lovecraft cannot get better (laughs) um but we we can wrestle with it and our understanding of Lovecraft and our ability to have conversations about Lovecraft can get better and can become more nuanced and can be improved by you know bringing in a lot more voices and a lot more folks who have historically kind of, you know, been boxed out of these conversations, even though, you know, black writers, female writers, queer writers have been a part of fandom, have been a part of weird literature and weird fiction from the get go. You know, <laughs> like it's not like they're suddenly you know, showing up. Uh, they've always been there, it's just their, the prevalence and their, their access to, uh, to the toy box has often been limited.
0: True, true. Uh, when people send you questions, how do you pick which ones to like, you know, like to answer?
1: Yeah. Uh, so it, it really depended. Uh, you know, when I was doing this three, you know, three times a week, you know, I kind of had a very, you know, sort of set schedule, you know, so, you know, Sunday night or sorry, uh, Saturday night, <laughs> I would go through my emails and i would kind of look through and be like all right what's a question that's that's interesting that's not too similar to one i just recently asked uh, or answered uh that's that you know i can i can you know it, it can take some inspiration from um, and there were some that would sit in my inbox for months because you know nothing would really was spark and then suddenly you know i'd see something or read something and be like okay i can finally go back and answer that question about scooby-doo i know what lovecraft will think about scooby-doo and and then, yeah, I would, you know, so I'd, I'd, get, I'd pick a question. I'd mull it over. I'd think, okay, can I hit one or two beats with this? And then I'd sleep. And that's where the real work would be done. Uh, at That and when I took the shower the next day, that's where, like, a lot of the, the quote-unquote writing was happening. And, you know, I'd, I'd make sure I could get, you know, three or four points that are interesting and entertaining or thought-provoking. And then, you know, Monday, I would film. Oh, sorry, not Monday. Sunday, I would film uh, and edit and upload. And then Monday it would go out that Monday night. I would go and check another email, pick a question Tuesday. I would film, put it out. And then that process would continue, you know, Wednesday, you know, uh, Tuesday, going into Wednesday, Wednesday, going into or Thursday, going into Friday. Uh, I'd have a little bit of a break on Saturday and then I'd be back then Saturday night, pick another question back to filming on Sunday. It was a, a, (laughs) it was, it was a churn and I was, you know, I was in it. And I was in that mind space, you know, all week long. Um, when I eventually was found myself the father of two kids and the mayor of a small village in Ohio, uh, I realized, okay, maybe I need to, to parse, you know, start (laughs) tamping the brakes a little bit. And so, uh, around 2018 or 2019, I went down to just doing it once a week, um, which was a huge change. It was a huge gear shift, uh, you know, suddenly not doing this, uh, three times a week. And that was 2019, dear Lord, I had this for such a long time. And um, and it was interesting. In some ways it was really challenging because instead of this kind of being in my head, you know, all week long, now, you know, Saturday I'd look at a question and Sunday I'd film it and it would go out Monday and it would kind of go out of my head. And then Saturday would show up and be like, oh crap, I gotta do this again. And like, I'd have to, you know, get the engine running from a cold start. Um, and so it was a very, it was a very different process. Um, but it was interesting because, you know, so many of the questions I got were pop culture related, you know, dear Mr. Lovecraft, what do you think about GI Joe's transformers, the the gummy bears, you know, just, you know, that people were into people really wanted to, you know, see Lovecraft responding to pop culture in in different ways. And this became very challenging when a lot of anime fans, because there's a big anime Lovecraft crossover, uh, would ask me very specific questions about, anime that i do not have any familiarity with nor do i really want to like <laughs> like go watch a you know a 30 30 hour <laughs> you know lotus wars or you know something from the from the 80s that's you know i got to go find on betamax or something and so and so yeah there's a, there were a lot of questions that went unanswered uh of course i sort of told myself you know if folks really want to you know get something answered they can come to the live show and then they they can trap me and i'll have nowhere to run and i'll have to come up with some answer uh but but yeah you know i really was i was trying to find a, a wide variety of questions uh things that were that were different things that that appeal to you know um my my aesthetic and my sense of like okay what would be fun to talk about and what'll be uh, what's what's'll be a bummer <laughs> so we maybe don't want to t- deal with this um although there were a couple of serious questions that I got that I that I you know try to find answers for I remember early on one of the first you know and serious questions I got was from a young woman you know who talked about my boyfriend and I, we love all your work. And, uh, I understand that you died of cancer and my boyfriend has cancer and is dying. Like, what can you speak to that experience? I'm like, Oh, well, uh, like, I don't want to just delete walk away. Like that's not the kind of thing you sort of want to just sort of leave hanging. But at the same time, like I have not had cancer. I do not have people in my life at that time who had the head cancer. So I didn't want to like speak out of turn and, um, and, and nor, you know, I think, you know, Lovecraft's actual response, would, you know, when he was going through uh last periods of life was, ow, ow, this hurts, I hate this, you know, like it wasn't particularly edifying, like he wasn't, you know, really sort of poetically addressing the moment, um, which is understandable. Uh, so, you know, I I, I very truthfully uh, and seriously said, you know, in, in situations like that, there are no words, you know, that, that's a place where where words fail, and there is just, you know, it, th- those those kind of situations are, you know, are shared by those in our lives, but, but there's nothing that can really be set. And as I've gotten older, I realized, yep, that's, that still, that still holds up.
0: <laughs> there was one episode where you got your wife to answer instead and one about coming out.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was, you know, it's again, we're getting towards the end of the series and the end of the run and um you know, as you talking, yeah, you, know, you, you asked the question earlier about you know progressive Lovecraft or Love, you know, do I have to f- you know find ways to make Lovecraft more, uh, uh, tell to- you know, <laughs> tolerant or or acceptable to social, um, you know, twenty first century society, and that that was yeah, that was definitely one where um because my wife has such a big uh, as a college chaplain she has a lot of experience you know working with with students and young people who are coming out or struggling with coming out or communicating it with their friends and their family you know i thought you know this is this is a topic that is worth addressing and is worth having a professional address not you know lovecraft you know making either embarrassing comments uh, or outdated references or you know flipping you know riding it on a skateboard with his hat backwards being like hey kids that's have that real talk
0: didn't get ph the answer did you, right. you no know? <laughs> uh
1: not that one although i think there were questions about ph and his sexuality that that, that popped up from time to time maybe on some of the live shows um but yeah
0: <laughs> and uh she's an episcopal priest right
1: that is correct yeah she uh we were up in canada so she was ordained into the anglican church of canada and then when we came back to ohio that was the episcopal church uh thanks to the revolutionary war and uh, all that shakeup.
0: Okay. And um I understand that y'all would do like a I guess like a podcast or a video cast together at one time.
1: Yeah. Geekly so uh, before and during Ask Lovecraft, uh, we had a, a a a podcast called Geekly Yoked. Uh, really terrible search engine optimization. Um, but it was a lot of fun. We talked about spirituality and and fandom and you know the books we were reading and how it sort of intersects with pop culture and religion. Uh, our, our high water mark was was somehow getting Doug Jones to to come on our show and talk with us about uh, Pan's Labyrinth and and things like that, the, uh, the Hellboy series. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I mean, I've, I you know I've done lots of these different sort of projects over the years, and what amazed me about Ask Lovecraft was the fact that it lasted so long. Like you know I have a lot of these kind of flash in the pan you know things that I've done or I've tried uh, before. I did Ask Lovecraft. I used to uh, do Christopher Walken impersonations on YouTube, uh, so that was um, that was my 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 first foray at attempting to you know make use of this medium, and now we're both on TikTok and we use and we find that TikTok works very well because you can do lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of different things, and you know I can do some Lovecraft there, I can do politics and talk about you know running for office in your local community, uh, I can talk about gaming. Uh, I can, you know, share clips from the the Denzel Washington Macbeth, like I did earlier today. You know, you can do lots of, you know, just, it's, it's uh, just a panoply of, of different things and you can engage with uh, a truly tremendous audience. I mean, you know, I've now done stuff on TikTok that, you know, in one day and like a 20 second clip reached more people than 10 years of ass Lovecraft ever did. And that's, you know... <laughs> Both astonishing, you know, astonishing and exciting, but also like, oh wow, okay, that puts things in perspective.
0: <laughs> it's a whole different world. Were there any questions that you refused to answer?
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are a lot of questions I refuse to answer. Whether they come to mind, uh, I don't know. Again, a very, very specific questions. Questions, you know, about either pop cultural events that just weren't funny or weren't interesting, or you know, there's, you know, I'm not going to go out and 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 watch every Sort of random TV show that folks are (laughs) are wondering Lovecraft's view on. Although I did watch a very fascinating, very dark German animated movie, uh Feli Day, which is all about like cats and genetic experimentation. And it's 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 sort of like watership down, but but like it's it's also something of a noir. And I'm, the reason I, w- I I thought it would work, and it did work, is because, you know, Lovecraft and his love of cats and all things feline. Uh, so I, I was able to get a lot of content and a lot of uh, uh, play out of that. But that was probably the like most far afield <laughs> research, you know, to answer a question that, that I was willing to kind of to go into.
0: Now, when you try to answer a question, did you go, what would Lovecraft say? Or did you try to think of an answer and then figure out how Lovecraft would
1: answer it? uh no I think I, I I would you know how the how this character of Lovecraft that I have you know stitched together and Frankenstein uh would answer you know so so you know part of it is thinking all right you know how would yes how would the yeah, historical Lovecraft kind of play into this but also based now on this kind of body of work that I've created and this kind of consistent character this consistent tone that I've developed over the last you know however long that uh that was really that really informed my again sort of writing you know the show was very improvised you know i I would get up in front of the camera i would have a few beats in my mind that i would want to hit you know either bad puns uh that i i knew i could easily make or or references to stuff in lovecraft's life um or just completely off the wall kind of random random gags and and then i would stitch them to i would just get in front of the camera and just sort of see where the spirit moved
0: there was a few episodes I've watched of yours. And one that kind of stood out to me when you talk about the films of Tom Hanks and how you made the uh, allegation that they're based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft and like splash me and <laughs> in shower in his mouth.
1: Now, see, it's funny because like I, the, the fever dream of doing this project, I vaguely remember making that joke. I couldn't tell you anything else about the rest of that episode. <laughs> you know, I, I made so many of these so quickly that when I go back, when I was going back and doing this archiving process, you know, project, I would just be like, I have, I, I don't, I don't remember this. Like my, my brain completely just like flushed this out of memory to make room for the next stupid joke. And you know, sometimes I'd be like, ooh, that was, that was not great. That wasn't, uh, that was probably not a joke I needed to make. And a lot, of, but a, a lot of times I was like, hey, that's actually pretty funny. This guy's not bad.
0: You should do more of this. <laughs> so it's like watching somebody else at that time. <laughs>
1: What's well, interesting, right? You know, you, you talk to, to folks who talk about, oh, they can't stand, you know, hearing their voice or, you know, and they see themselves, you know, on film or camera or whatnot. You know, I'm I'm a narcissistic enough actor that I've never had a problem with that. But I did get to a point where if I ever, you know, was when, especially when I was doing podcasting or, you know, interviews and things like that, and I listen to my actual speaking voice like, oh, that doesn't sound right. But hours and hours of me like talking is Lovecraft. That's that that's fine. That doesn't impact me at all. That just that's, you know, that's that's perfectly natural at this point.
0: Some of the things you talked about was like about Lovecraft's legacy being plushies.
1: Yes, (laughs) that I got a lot. I got a lot of that, and that was really good for my live show. Uh, When I was um, about a year into the show, my my theater company in Toronto, uh, we got a slot for the Toronto French, which are very hard to get. The Toronto French big summer festival there in Toronto, and they have you know even their sort of small little tiny stages are, are fiercely fought over. So our company put in a bid for it without having a show, just put in a bid and and managed to get it. And like, okay, we need something that can fit in this tiny little, you know, cube. Like Lehman, can we, do you want to do Lovecraft? Do you want to do like a live Lovecraft show? And I, and I had tried doing Lovecraft live at a con and it worked somewhat okay. Um, I was like, okay, I, I think I can do this, but it's hard to improvise for like a full hour. You know, can we try to like stitch something together? And so my, my, uh, producer and writer DJ he went through and watched every episode uh, uh, that existed at the time there which was not the full you know 1500 or whatever that it's at right now uh was still a lot and they put together this this sort of kind of stand-up bit essentially uh kind of like a top 10 of questions you know I read off of uh read off of an index card and um and I had uh, I don't know if it was a plushy Cthulhu I think it was the my little Cthulhu that John Cavallik made um and uh I, I halfway through the show I like pull off uh, like a, a curtain and reveal this little like bubbly faced Cthulhu and I go into this giant rant about Lovecraft's you know writing being commercialized and and stolen and and used to make plushies and and all this stuff um of course with the final joke being that you know the real problem is that he wasn't getting paid for it so
0: yeah not getting any royalties. <laughs> That that kind of segues into like your warnings about the Lovecraft industrial complex and the McDonald arches of
1: horror. That's right. Well, this is where like Lovecraft and myself, you know, we, we, we are in sort of agreement, right? I mean, Lovecraft part of, you know, part of why he didn't do well was that he sort of refused to kind of play, uh, a lot of the commercial games. He was not interested in, in writing to popular taste. And he, and he had a big distaste at the idea of kind of commercialization, um, of seeing, you know, stuff just being kind of sold and and marketed. And, you know, to some degree, I think he would have been horrified at the, the way he has become, you know, a, a marketing brand and a merchandising brand. And, you know, um, i'm sure you know again if there was if it was paying his hospital bills he probably wouldn't complain too loudly but you know i think that is something to kind of be aware of uh, particularly as we have conversations about lovecraft and his bigotry and things like that you know i think there's there's you know one side of folks who say um, you know, you, you don't want to say anything about it because it's sort of it's it's, you know, you're taking money to, you know, you've, you've written Lovecraft anthologies or Lovecraft games, you know, how dare you then insult him and, and denigrate him. Uh, you're just as bad as you know, for accepting that money. Whereas I sort of take the, the, the approach that if you if you are playing in that world, and if you are, you know, you know profiting off of lovecraft you know if you are profiting off his legacy it's it's beholden to be, have these honest conversations you know doesn't mean you have to just you know every week go out and and talk about how much you made lovecraft um but you know you don't want to you don't want to take the money and treat it like hush money or an nda right you want to be able to to talk openly and honestly um even about you know stuff that is both problematic and you know also your livelihood um i think that's that's the responsible way to engage with um with it because it is it's a huge moneymaker you go to kickstarter and you look up you know cthulhu or lovecraft or, or anything related and you'll find dozens of games and books and plushies and all sorts of stuff folks he's recognizable and you know in a way that you know robert w chambers and ambrose beers aren't
0: there was a catchphrase that uh, i would hear you utter from time to time in your show it's like 10 times your body weight and sugar
1: oh yes <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a nice recurring gag about oh uh what lovecraft needed to be reanimated um i really loved it so at some point someone put together a uh, a tv tropes uh page for the show and i saw that they had as one of the tropes you know don't say the z word you know you can't say zombie like you know lovecraft refused uh the the to be called a zombie refused to be called um uh anything like that uh he was undead even i think even undead he was squeamish about but reanimated you know because we have reanimator you know reanimated it's a, it's it's more statesmanlike. and and yes the uh the, the recurring theme was that to maintain his reanimated status he required 10 times his body weight and sugar like a hummingbird And of course, (laughs) Lumcraft was was a notorious uh, notorious for loving sugar and putting in poisonous amounts of sugar into his coffee and like just mainlining donuts. And I mean, that was just that was part of his his weird, (laughs) weird lifestyle choices, which I'm sure did not help his uh, latter day uh, health issues.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that contributed to his death, all the um, (laughs) his poor eating habits. Uh, I did notice one error when I was watching some of your episodes, you said Lovecraft never saw television and actually he had.
1: That's right. Uh, I've learned from my friend, uh, Bobby Deary, that, that Lovecraft uh, uh, either an exhibition or some such uh, had a chance to, to see, to see a television. And I think he even, he even recorded, not, not, I don't think there's a video recording. I think he did make an audio recording that was eventually subsequently burned or destroyed. Um, So in theory, there could have been some, some Lovecraft recordings floating around out there. Uh, But they did not make it to the modern day, which means that my whatever voice I'm using, no one can say is not canon because they weren't there.
0: No one can contradict you unless you get a time machine or something. Nicely. Yeah. Uh, As if that wasn't enough, you also created Lovecraft after dark.
1: Yeah. Well, this came out of the fact that, you know, I like doing I like interviews. I like talking to folks. I like engaging with the community. And one of the best things to come out of doing. uh Ask Lovecraft is getting folded into this, this community, which again, I didn't have a lot of experience with because I was not a Lovecraft fan um, growing up or, you know, in college or anything. And so, you know, I was, I was approaching it sort of orthogonally as this actor and artist, you know, uh, and, and kind of got grafted onto this, this amazing community of filmmakers and artists and, and authors. And I've had some truly amazing friendships come out of, uh, come out of this work. I mean, that's, you know, beyond anything else, that's been one of the, the the greatest joys of all of this. And, and yeah, Ask Lovecraft After Dark was a way to, to try to engage with the friends I'd made, you know, um, through the Lovecraft world and also with the the fan base that had kind of developed over time, you know, finding ways to kind of engage with folks who are watching the show, you know, I'm, you know, was trying to find ways, you know, either through, uh, you know, social media can be, very limiting. I, uh, you know, I had a Patreon account, which had, a, you know, we sort of try to have kind of back and forth there, but you know, that's that's kind of a you know almost like a newsletter. In, you know, that there's not a lot of back and forth. And uh, with After Dark, I was able to kind of have a live chat show uh, for a while. And you know, back when uh, Google Hangouts uh, was uh, a bit more friendly and user friendly, and uh, it allowed me to, to interview folks or talk and have kind of a you know live uh, questions in the midst of all that. Uh, again, this is a place where TikTok has been interesting because you know with TikTok Lives and things like that, you're you're able to recreate a little bit of that and and have a kind of a an ongoing conversation, an immediate conversation with folks. And I found that uh, I found that a lot of fun. And um yeah, the the after dark may may there may be more of those coming. Uh, you know, depending on uh, the schedules of uh, friends and whatnot, because uh, that is a lot of fun. And and it's I've got to speak to you know some some real heroes uh doing that because once you're like i have a i have a i'm a serious uh, person with a uh, who does interviews would you like to appear on this program that's not just me and my library talking into my laptop i'm a serious person and you can you know uh i got to talk with bill slavacek uh, who's an amazing game designer who designed so many of the like star wars role-playing and games and, and did so much work that you know i grew up with um i got to talk with you know great writers and filmmakers and folks who you know create art that i love and i can geek out and and fanboy out about um and while also you know being a very serious person and serious interviewer and it's it's the best of both worlds Uh,
0: there was one interview we were curious about because it's almost like the person you're going to interview didn't decide not to show up until halfway through and it was like cody goodfellow
1: yes oh man so uh so cody is a is a a writer an actor a musician he made the baby got bass uh music video that i i briefly appear in and uh yeah i think that was you know with before you know in the pre-Zoom era, you know, we didn't, we weren't all uh, in the pre-pandemic era. You know, we didn't all have, you know, our our home setups and our our ability to do these, um, these kind of remote interviews, you know, all ready to go, you know, at a moment's notice. And so I think he was having some severe uh, phone <laughs> phone issues uh, on the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so uh, in that case, because they were live, you know, I, I would sort of just be vamping <laughs> and have to vamp for for long stretches of time but Cody is a is a is a strange fun fellow he for the longest time uh ran the Cthulhu prayer breakfasts at the HP Lovecraft film festival uh he had like a full religious uh attire and would come out and with his various hierophants and high priests and acolytes and uh you would have a a, a delightful religious experience
0: now, you were involved with the prayer breakfast at one time weren't you
1: uh, yes, I believe I was uh, exercised uh, at one. Uh, I think uh, they decided they were going to to, to uh, exercise Lovecraft, or at least uh, exercise Lovecraft's uh, uh, problematic history, or something like that. Uh, it mostly involved me like screaming and writhing around, which I'm good at. So, it'll mm-hmm. work out.
0: okay. I was kind of curious what they meant by exercising Lovecraft. I didn't exactly know what they meant by that, but uh,
1: this, you know, this was, I think, in the midst of the World Fantasy Award. Uh, back and forth and debates and so I think this was Cody's you know Cody's way of 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 dealing with a lot of these controversies uh is with humor and ridiculousness the kind of dadaist uh way of uh you know acknowledging controversy and acknowledging these difficult conversations uh while not getting too bogged down in the the seriousness of it because it, 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 there was you know there was a lot of conflict and there was a lot of uh hurt feelings and then back and forth and you know it's like any any community you every now and then have to kind of find ways to step back and figure out okay what are we in this for and what matters and uh and, and cody figured with with lovecraft folks you can't go wrong with a good exorcism and uh,
0: one person you interview was evan stevens who is very important to your show
1: yeah that uh that was an amazing gift uh evan uh approached me with music he had written uh in sort of, you know, Lovecraftian music, music inspired by Lovecraft. And and he said, hey, like you can make use of this however you like. And I'm like, well, uh, at some point, YouTube uh, kind of offered this feature whereby at the end of your episodes, you could have like little preview videos, like little boxes, like and for 20 seconds, they would stay up and folks could click on that or click on the subscribe. And so I was like, oh, I wanna make use of that. But like, I don't want like boxes to appear over my face while I'm still talking. Like that isn't, that's not ideal um and i could and so for a long time it just you know would go to like subscribe box and there would just be silence and blackness you know for that 20 seconds but then i realized oh i can have music at the end of all these and have you know have make use of that and have like you know you know showcase different music and pick music that matches the tone or the 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 mood of of every episode and he had like a dozen different songs so I could cycle through a whole bunch of them and it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. And then, so when the show was wrapping up, I, I had him on to talk about being a part of the, being, you know, the, the, uh, cast member, uh, <laughs> you know, off screen uh, with the, uh, with the music. And so, so, you know, I, I, this was, I was so dependent and so grateful, um, on a lot of different artists coming to my aid and and supporting the show. Um, uh, my, my friend, Matt, did the little uh, kind of uh picture of lovecraft in the uh, precious moments style which was i was obsessed with precious moments as like a comedy gold mine there were so many different projects where like this will be so much better if it was as a precious moments baby and so uh when i was coming up with a like an icon to be the lovecraft you know my friend matt uh, offered to uh to to do it cuz he had he had his own webcomic at the time and I was like, "All right, well, can you do Lovecraft like precious, precious moments? Lovecraft?" He's like, "I guess so." And so that's been the little, little face, uh, you know, the YouTube um, thumbnail for for ten years. Uh, I remember when I first started, uh, a friend, uh, uh, this this person uh, who became a friend uh, named Leslie, reached out, being like, "Hi, I see that you've started this this show, and I see your the art that you use, and it's 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 interesting. I'm an, I'm an actual artist. Can I?" can can i make this look good <laughs> she said it much more politely um but she she came up with uh she came up with you know in almost any design you see the you know the lovecraft uh posters the lovecraft you know art on the youtube site or on the facebook page um my business cards <laughs> she uh leslie harker she did some fantastic work and i still go back to her even like um you know on tiktok you know we were designing t-shirts for uh, my my sort of uh, always has been compendium of ohio weirdness and i got her to design the t-shirt for that uh, i i had her design like when i ran for village council she like made little business cards for running for vill- like village council she is definitely my my go to for anything graphic design because uh it's it's going to be me and paint otherwise
0: <laughs> when you're saying paint you mean like uh, microsoft paint or i,
1: I yes precisely yeah. <laughs>
0: And uh, who's the little child who, like, you know, asked at the beginning? That,
1: that is a young man, uh, an older man now named Liam, who his mother and I went to college together. Uh, we did theater together. Uh, we produced a stage adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Mort back in 2004. And uh, she still lives in the area. And I still see her from time to time. Um, but uh, when I was starting my show, I sent out a request. Hey. Does anyone like have a small child who'd be willing to record, you know, ask Lovecraft? Because again, I had this idea of like the precious moments, you know, Lovecraft face, and then the idea of like, you know, the show starting with like a little kid just being like, ask Lovecraft, just being this, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It was, it was two thousand twelve. We were all of us making interesting choices, aesthetically and uh, otherwise, and so. Uh she got her son, Liam. Uh she like like cornered him and and made him talk into a microphone. And I was like, all right, that's great. Love it. I'll use it. And 10 years later, I'm still using it. So it's just one <laughs> it take. Just, it just yeah, yeah. I think I think there was like a bit of a pause. I think he was just like, ask Lovecraft. So I like squished them together just so you know. Um, and and that's definitely I definitely had a lot of people be like, This makes this the show really hard to binge watch because every three minutes you're getting this high-pitched child. <laughs> shouting at you but i don't know that, that that's that that's that speaks to my my weird sort of you know andy kaufman ask what why what like just strangeness that uh informs the rest of the show if you, if you can't get over a small child and and precious moments art you're you're not going to enjoy what comes next i'm sorry
0: it, it gives it a charm i have to say <laughs> uh, another guest you had on was lewis lovhag as i say his name
1: yeah, uh, yeah. So he's known. Uh, he does uh, Linkara, uh top the fourth wall. Uh, we worked together uh, when I was uh, on Channel Awesome uh, for a brief period, and then we both departed that channel around the same time. And we've we've I've, we've collaborated on lots of different stuff. I worked with uh, with him on a um, his on his. He did like these kind of Halloween big specials, and so he he brings me in to be a scary narrator to talk about all the spooky comic books and movies coming soon. And uh we worked on a on a really fun collaborative project. Um the Voice from the Dark. Voice from Beyond. Voice from Beyond, thank you very much. I can never remember the title. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And it was again, it was a lot of us who had been part of Channel Awesome and uh you know we're we're sad to kind of lose that that collaboration and lose that connection. We wanted to to do sort of a big thing to kind of you know get the band back together and uh i had a lot of fun with that that was uh uh, lewis is uh, an incredibly sweet guy incredibly supportive so you know everyone over at channel awesome uh was part of that uh we're we're were such a great team you know i i I was i jumped in very late uh i was not i was a very different kind of program from a lot of the you know long form review shows they had they did not have just these like three-minute lovecraft answering questions like that was not a thing <laughs> that they were they are the audience were are quite uh used to um but they were all incredibly sweet incredibly supportive and um i really cherish the friendships that i got to make over there
0: now for that audio drama voice from beyond uh did you regret not seeing the time warp of everybody else
1: <laughs> well the problem was of course uh that all got like taken down with a copyright <laughs> and i think they had to uh uh oh man they were they had to scramble and and either find some replacement because they were wanting to to i think either sell that or or you know do some other things with it and the licensing didn't quite work out um i did wind up uh we did a um uh, an episode of last like a like a sort of stitched together program that that was came a bit later where i got to dance uh dance along as uh and that was my um my way of of participating i also did uh a musical number uh shortly thereafter that uh, I think that was Farewell from the Beyond or Farewell from the Darkness where uh, I, I did a parody of uh, Mellow Yellow where uh, it was the king in yellow and so that had the uh, the whole cast uh, dancing along, they call them king in yellow <laughs> uh, which was, was a lot of fun
0: <laughs> and uh, you've made some appearances at Necronomicon uh, in Providence yeah.
1: so that is, uh, I've been out there twice that and uh, I've been to let's see now, I did I did Necronomicon 2013 and 2015. I did the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland and the CthulhuCon in Portland, and then a different HP Lovecraft Film Festival down in San Pedro. And then I put down a couple of Ohio conventions. And those, those are fantastic. Like I A, I love being around those, those folks, being around uh, that kind of community that I mostly know online. And getting to meet folks in the flesh and and talk and drink and and just celebrate, uh, occasionally get exercised, um, it's a ton of fun and it's uh, a, a real thrill. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, hoping now that we're sort of you know pulling out uh, of the worst of the sort of pandemic mode, that I'll get an opportunity to kind of uh, go back out and do more work with them uh, while I still fit in the suit. You know, uh, that's the they'll be the one rate limiting step. But doing the live shows is so fantastic because it's such a different experience from the web series, right? Where I'm, you know, I'm curating a question, I'm spending time thinking of an answer, and then I'm putting together a sort of a long form two or three minute answer with a live show, you know, I don't know what's coming. And I might come up with a five second response that's very quick and snappy, or I might, it might send me down this, this like long rabbit hole of, of. Just really diving in deep and and having a ton of fun, but it's it's a bit like you know being in an old timey saloon and having folks shooting at your feet. Um, it's exhilarating, but it's also very terrifying.
0: What was the one program Lovecraft around the world that you were involved with?
1: So that was a panel. I believe where we were talking about sort of, you know, Lovecraft and Lo- the responses to Lovecraft internationally. I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like there were two Canadians on that program. So I guess we were there to represent uh, the the true North and yeah, you know, you know, doing these panels is also, you know, kind of a, a you never know what's going to come up. You don't know what questions folks are going to have at you. You know, you're sort of trying to have these, um, these conversations, but also at the same time, you know, having sort of back and forth with, um, with the audience, uh, they're they're I, I enjoy them. They're they can they can be a lot of fun. I think we did. There was one we did out in the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival where it was like kind of a potpourri. It was just meant to be like anything that doesn't fit on any other panel. Like you can come and ask your questions here, and we'll try to address them. <laughs> we are the we are the the etc. experts. Um, and that uh, that was a that was a, a big blast. Although again, also uh, kind of nerve wracking.
0: And uh, you also performed before before George R.R. R. Martin.
1: Yes. So that was uh, that was a career high for me. Uh, and it it started off. I was convinced it was a phishing scam. I got a Facebook message uh, from someone just being like, hey, you know, we've seen your work. and We think it's really interesting. Uh, we'd love for you to come out to George R. R. Martin's theater and perform. I'm like, OK, this is no, this is not a thing. This is someone who has done just a modicum of research and knows how to get my social security number. And (laughs) I was like, "But I gotta. mm, I'll see." And so I, you know, I I tentatively responded back and found out it was legit. And sure enough, found myself going out to Santa Fe two times uh, and getting to 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 perform for George R. R. Martin and Melinda Snodgrass and uh, for and just it was it was an absolute it was a dream it was a dream getting to to perform like that, uh, getting to to be in the presence of you know someone who had been a you know literary hero of mine for years. You know i read tough voyaging way back um uh you know and in high school and uh was one of the, the early folks to really get into uh you know game of thrones i mean i remember literally you know you know being making you know nothing john snow references back in the early 2000s and getting like blank like stares from people like what that's that's not a thing um so to get out to get the opportunity to to not only just interact and, and talk and visit with him uh, get the grand tour of his uh, of his whole scene there, um, beginning to perform and and answer questions. And as Lovecraft, you know, sort of the, you know, it was the most ex- one of the most exciting venues I've had.
0: Did he ask you a question? Oh,
1: I'm, sure, I'm sure he I'm sure he did. Uh, I, I want to say what he mostly wanted to do was talk about his role playing characters. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to tell me all about like his Call of Cthulhu characters, uh, and 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 you know. When when George R. R Martin wants to talk gaming, you listen.
0: Did you happen to ask about like when he's going to get Game of Thrones done?
1: Uh, and, and no, I, I felt <laughs> I felt no need to. Um, it was interesting, though, because he talked uh, uh, he talked about the Lovecraft connections in the Game of Thrones. Like there's stuff that's like little Easter eggs um, here and there that he threw in. Uh, I think there's a again, like, it's technically Chambers. I think there's like a Carcosa that's like on the eastern continent or something, you know, buried away somewhere. Um so a lot of, uh, there was just a lot of fun and it was a, it was a great time. And I was, um, that was a, that was a, a bucket list beyond bucket list moment. Something I could never have expected. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful If that Lovecraft earned me nothing else. It earned me that.
0: So why did you decide just to quit it then?
1: So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I would, I had gone down to one episode a week, uh, as my schedule just became a bit more, uh, demanding with kids and uh being a, a village mayor and you know i wanted to i wanted to be able to finish the program on my own terms sort of not just watch interest dwindle or you know find myself just unable to do it for any number of reasons i wanted to be able to plan out the ending and i was it was i was coming up on 10 years you know it was you know i knew that you know june 2022 would be you know the exact decade mark and so that was a clean, easy number uh, that was sort of easy to explain to folks. <laughs> um and so yeah, around around you know christmas of of twenty twenty one, I started to kind of get things set in motion um and laid out kind of the you know what I wanted what I wanted to end on and what I wanted my final episodes to sort of, you know touch on. And it just so happened that right towards the end, you know, someone sent in a question about like, you know, oh, you've asked, you know, you know, you've answered all this stuff. What have you learned in this in this time? And that was such a perfect, you know, what have we learned, Charlie Brown kind of question uh, to have as kind of my my final uh, my final question. And then I, I knew I knew for a while that I wanted to do something with his grave because I'd, I'd never really I talked about Lovecraft's grave, um, and and his burial site, uh, although it it's shifted. So I don't know if, I don't know if the grave actually marks where he's buried right now, uh, um, but. Uh, I had never been able to get out there even when I'd, I'd been to Rhode Island because it's it's getting to Swan's Point is a bit of a to-do. And so, but I had a friend who lived in Rhode Island. And so I was able to get him to film <laughs> going to the grave. And then I filmed myself in our local graveyard and I stitched those two together, the wonder of movie magic, and was able to kind of have a final farewell uh, in character. And it was... Um, yeah i was i was happy i was it was it was being able to to tie everything up and uh put a bow on it in a way where again it's you're sort of you're not forced out because just you know you have to you're having a nervous breakdown or you're you know the your kids are screaming at you uh it was it was nice to be able to kind of go at my own speed and and say farewell and I luckily it. you know i and luckily i had other other projects to kind of keep going you know TikTok exploded you know so it was weird like the moment i kind of announced hey i think i'm going to be stepping down was when you know the the mayor lovecraft uh my other persona uh took off and uh i you know i, I found myself suddenly in this whole other world that was different but in some ways very similar to what i'd been doing for 10 years and i'm still kind of playing around in that space and enjoying uh doing what that all offers and and yeah and i i'm you know i've, I've got a a celebrated uh, podcast sci-fi podcast moon Based data out that we've been we're now on the fourth season of fourth and final season of that that's been a ton of fun i have really enjoyed doing that uh i've i've been doing more audiobooks and more uh guest spots on different podcasts and things like that and so you know i'm I'm still able to to use that part of my brain that you know st- thinks that precious moments or <laughs> babies are the funniest thing in the world and um that's uh, you know as long as as long as I can keep that going that, as long as my pineal gland keeps squirting I'll uh, I'll keep putting stuff out there.
0: Uh, I understand you're you're a Nigerian born American you lived in yes. Canada and then in Ohio.
1: Yes, uh you know I guess that's why they put me on the international panel. Uh, my folks were missionaries. My parents were missionaries in West Africa, so that's where I was born and that's where I grew up, and we bounced around uh from there to Tennessee and then I came to Ohio for college went to Canada. For a number of years uh, with my wife. And then we came back to the same college town and I became mayor of my college town, which is a, a weird sentence to utter. And um it's been a it's been a really exciting adventure. And that's a
0: Gambier. Does um, that you say that name? Gambier, Ohio. Yeah, Gambier,
1: that's right. Gambier, Ohio. And, and been... you know, I have, I have two kids who are uh incredibly uh dangerously energetic, and um I'm excited to sort of see, you know, to to see kind of where where their adventures are going to take them and go that's the biggest my biggest job right now more than anything else
0: i'm curious what part of tennessee did you live in
1: nashville nashville yeah. tennessee yeah. that's right
0: you're, you're not too far from us then or <laughs> we're we're real close to the tennessee state line
1: so. oh there we go yeah well I, so my my folks are uh my, i i sort of grew up in in dixon county and as well as and sort of bounced back and forth between dixon and nashville mm-hmm. uh, i went to school in austin p which is sort oh. of up there um Uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, I've I've bounced around the state, uh, a little bit, although there's, there's a lot of it. I, I, I I drove from Florida to Nashville and realized, oh, right. Tennessee is really long. Like (laughs) there's a lot of more of this state than I remember. I'm used to the, the South, the North South bit, which is not quite as uh, intimidating.
0: That's wild. Uh, so, uh, you served on the city council, right? And then you became
1: mayor. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, at my, the previous mayor was uh, very, very good at what I have discovered is the most important part of this job, which is getting other people <laughs> involved in municipal government. And so she uh, got me to be on first planning and zoning, uh, which I knew nothing about, and then was like, oh, like this is okay. this this has its its tendrils and so many different things. Lovecraft could have had a field day talking about a planning and a corrupt uh, planning and zoning board infiltrated by cultists. And then um from there, I, I ran for for village council. And then the mayor was not looking to run for re-election, and I didn't look like anyone else was going to run for election. So I, I stepped in and ran and wound up getting elected mayor, and that's been its own strange journey and adventure.
0: So uh, your wife is a, a priest and you're a mayor, so I, you've joked about being a church and state.
1: We are, yes, precisely. We are the church and state couple. Uh, people have also described us as like a, a, a BBC murder mystery premise. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, I saw one of your uh, well, the statements about you said that you work to make Gambier a diverse, safe, affordable, beautiful place to work, live, teach, and study in. Have you feel yes, that you succeeded?
1: Uh, yeah, we're doing our part. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I ran for mayor in 2019, and and you know, took office January of 2020, thinking, all right, like I know what this job's going to entail. I know what my challenges are. I can't imagine anything happening in the next two months that could utterly derail absolutely everything. <laughs> so you know uh, you know being a small college town being dependent uh, on the college you know there are definitely moments when i sort of were thinking am i going to be the last mayor of gambier mm-hmm. uh, but luckily we've we've weathered the worst of the storms and um we're um we're still all taken along and yeah it's it's i'm very proud of the work that we do we have a fantastic council that i get to work with a fantastic village staff and it's it's an it's an absolute delight just getting to to come in um obviously there's things that get a little hairy, like when you are called out at 10 o'clock at night because someone's uh, sewage is backed up uh, again, the Lovecraftian horrors you never could imagine. Um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an, it's an opportunity. i never really ever expected. And um, I'm very honored at the chance to, to, to get to serve.
0: Now, did playing Lovecraft hurt you any, you know, for being a mayor, did people not well, take you seriously or.
1: So I ran on a post. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, definitely, uh, you know, meant that I didn't, you know, my campaigning went from, from, you know, me prepping to have a very, you know, you know, serious by the issues sort of campaign to, um, you know, I think, I think just, you know, me saying I'm going to be the, the Garrick of, uh, the Gambier. Um, so <laughs> I did have, you know, we, you know, there are big controversies and there've been issues that have come up, um, what was what was great, though, was, you know, there was a really we had a really hard time about a a, a year ago uh, and, you know, a lot of sort of, you know, I, I was receiving lots of less than friendly <laughs> uh, messages and whatnot from from folks who weren't happy with what was happening in the village. And a former professor of mine uh, sent uh, who, you know, I've, I've gotten to know since coming back. Uh, and He's become really dear part of the community. Uh, he sent me this this note of encouragement throughout all of you know with right in the kind of the nadir of just everything being really just nasty and and whatnot uh you know thanking me for the work that i did and and talking about you know the support of the community and he said you know i have to imagine your years playing howard phillips lovecraft has prepared you to handle any sort of monsters and so uh, you know (laughs) this this should hopefully not be too daunting for you uh and i thought that was i was not expecting the, the the lovecraft quote to come from uh from from that corner uh but it was the the perfect thing I needed right then and there. So I'll take it.
0: So most politicians or businessmen or lawyers, is there anything about being a voice actor or Lovecraft that helped you?
1: So I'll tell you what's helped me more than anything. And what I think folks should really take to heart is working retail. Working retail will teach you how to handle the public, how to keep your calm and and cool when folks are sort of coming at you with a, a lot of intensity that might seem... Uh, out of out of keeping with the stakes and and it and it also makes you very aware of the small nitty gritty you know thousand and one tiny uh, unglamorous unsexy bits of business that uh, are necessary to keep the lights on and the water running in the pipes and everything going um you know, if if you know, I have had people say that my acting experience means that I'm very good in in you know public meetings where someone is sort of shouting at me and I'm able to just sort of nod and smile along. Um, but again, that's also uh, years of working in, in retail and you know ha- you know being on a being in a bookstore uh, around Christmas time and and having someone scream at you because you know the you don't have the right copy of uh, of the Hobbit for sale. So
0: I also read where being a game master
1: also helped you. I mean, it does. It teaches because a good game mastering is all about good time management, and that is also a crucial element of uh, being uh, being a mayor and keeping things going.
0: So, do you plan on running for reelection?
1: I got to make that decision. Uh, next year is when uh, when my uh, current term runs out, so I, I have about six months before I have to officially uh, decide one way or the other. Uh, so we shall see. It'll, it'll, I'm curious uh, if uh, you know other folks will come out of the woodwork if I've inspired people. You know, you find a lot, a lot of folks get involved in local politics uh, out of spite because they're really angry at what the previous mayor did. <laughs> so I'm curious to see uh, if I have similar similar challenges and what they uh, what they suggest about my tenure.
0: Yeah. Do you have any higher aspirations being governor or president? Anything
1: <laughs> like that? You know, at the moment, I, I'm needed here and I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah. If I have any higher aspirations, it's probably to uh, host late night monster movies on cable television.
0: Yeah. I know, president Lovecraft has kind of a neat ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, would you encourage other people to run for office?
1: Absolutely. I think we need a lot of different voices in in local government, uh, and you know, the sad truth is, for a lot of positions, particularly in local positions, they 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 either are run unopposed, like in my case, or people don't run for them at all. And you, there are so many ways to get involved. So many you know, avenues that you can make sure your voice is heard. Um, and even if you don't run for office, there's tons of, of boards and commissions that are always in need of folks, always uh, need people to, you know, to help out, uh, whether you're interested in education, the environment, infrastructure, uh, the trees. We just, we just re- revitalized our tree commission <laughs> here in the village. And it's uh, you know, whatever your whatever you're interest in, even if it's, you know, national or international, there's a local connection. And there are so many ways to get involved and so many ways to lend your your voice and your your you know your manpower and ability to uh you know put your your shoulder to the wheel and make the your world and your community a much better place.
0: Yeah. One of your goals is to make Ohio seem less boring to people. So what is one of the things you can brag about Ohio and Gambier? <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, Gambier is such this strange little bit of uh, like, you know, Gothic architecture and this, 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 you know, kind of Oxford inspired, uh, you know, college that was uh, ported over like stone by stone from England um, to be this, this, this kind of, you know, throwback to, you know, traditional English college life. Um, But, you know, it's gone on to become such this, this more interesting, weird, fun, diverse place, you know, in this intervening, you know, two centuries since then. Uh, you know, there's a reason why, you know, I came to Gambier as a 17-year-old, and there's a reason why I came back um, you know, over a decade later. And uh, you know, there's a lot and Ohio is full of these weird little pockets and corners and bits of strangeness. You know, my my always has been show is, you know, it's 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 poking fun and, and doing kind of, you know, weird face bits of strangeness and lore um but then like you'll come across grandpa's cheese barn or the hell is real sign and you know realize that ohio's there's a lot of weirdness though i mean same with tennessee you know tennessee is chock full of weirdness um you know you just you just follow the kudzu and see where it uh, grows and uh you'll, you'll 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 unearth all sorts of uncanny secrets
0: yeah i saw where um if wikipedia hasn't lied to me that paul newman came from gambier
1: that's uh that he went to school here yeah we've had a lot of actors come through Allison janney um and yeah paul newman is uh one of our one of our big ones we uh newman's own uh <laughs> pasta sauce and dressing uh is very easy to find uh in about a five minute radius
0: there's one thing about ohio that uh, gets a lot of praise from libraries has one of the best library systems in the united states
1: yes uh i and my um we you know we we make use of uh you know our public library system as well as the 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 kind of university library system um and my my son has recently became uh all enamored my five year- old son has become enamored with organs and so we just took out uh, a a giant anatomy textbook which he will be pouring through uh thanks to this uh, library system so yes, we are very <laughs> very aware of and very grateful for uh the access to strange tunes.
0: I saw you've done some other stuff you did a promo for the keney board game and, uh... Music.
1: yes that was a uh, uh, carcosa i think i got that that's in one of my voice reels i think i got the name wrong it's technically called uh, carcosa that was uh, made by uh this this game designer who reached out to me uh he had seen some of my my videos and voice work uh so i've i've done that uh, he also did a game called Microbrew, uh which are very different games and uh, i got to uh, voice the promos for the kickstarters for that and like you said you know i i've, I've really enjoyed I, I like being a voice actor it's i like being able to to you know Make, uh, do all sorts of fun, weird, strange things with my my voice that I've, uh, you know, been playing with for 40 years now. And, you know, the I'm a board gamer as well. So being able to to be in that world and be in that space is a ton of fun.
0: There's a one, I guess, podcaster doing our pod show is a moon based data out. And that's,
1: yeah, that was so. This is my original company, uh, that I was part of in Toronto. And, you know, as I began to, do more, uh, uh, you know, parenting. Uh, I was, uh, I wasn't able to do as much acting and and theater. And then of course I moved away from Toronto and wasn't able to do anything with them at all. But, uh, the main producer and my main sort of writer DJ, they wanted to get into podcasting and they wanted to sort of do a a kind of a prototype experimental podcast just to kind of test out the equipment and play with editing and uploading and all that stuff. We were meant to just be this kind of uh, proof of concept, uh, very, very small uh, project, and that wound up exploding. Uh, that the Moonbase data out, uh, you know, it's it's had, you know, the first season was just me, you know, the idea of a guy trapped by himself in the moon, you know, recording these little missives and uh you know season two we were able to bring in a, a bigger cast and sort of explore more of the moon base season three we got even bigger and now we're in season four and we've got this this cast of dozens of folks you know from on earth and on the moon and all over the place and we're having we're having a ton of fun and i'm i'm really amazed at the response to it i'm i'm so grateful that folks connect to it uh, as uh as they have and um you know, again, it's endings are always sad. It's sad that the, you know it's the end of, uh, of this project so soon after Lovecraft also kind of came to an end. Um, but I'm I'm grateful I've had this opportunity and uh, excited about what comes next.
0: Everything you wanted. Okay. Okay. Um, I enjoy the TikToks. I do get to see those quite a bit. So.
1: Oh, thank you so much. That's that's been. You know, I, I signed up for TikTok uh, mostly so that I could annoy my wife, because she, uh, 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 she uses it very. She uses it. She uses it way better than I do, because uh, she actually like engages and, you know, has all sorts of um, has created all sorts of community that way uh so i wanted to be able to come in and make snarky comments and then i was like well while i'm here i might as well make a video or two and they they took off and found a very different audience you know it's it's been interesting though to see the you know the folks who were like wait a minute you're that guy from that youtube show right. uh you know people were like i remember when you were on channel awesome you know you know that's that's been uh, the best though uh i've had a number of folks who recognize me <laughs> because uh like a decade ago i filmed these educational videos for med schools about like a like you know appropriate um um communication in a medical setting and apparently those videos are still being shown it's like a goofus and gallant i do like a this is the wrong way to communicate and this is the right way (laughs) (laughs) and so i'll have people be like wait a minute i just i just saw you in my in my med class i'm like yeah. yep that's me baby i'm not getting any checks for that let me tell you what nice yeah, no
0: royalties or anything no. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: yeah, I did not true. i did not sign the right contract for that
0: there was the uh, i like to explore words and um they're like get mentioned in you know certain of your shows and all that and there was one word that you got mentioned you mentioned one called penemy
1: Oh, oh, was that my, 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 uh, the, the, instead of a pen pal, you need a pen of me. Yes, you're talking <laughs> about a <pen> of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to take the time to, you know, put someone on blast, you know, don't just do it in a comment, you know, really, you know, commit. So,
0: and uh, there was a word that kept popping up all the time. When you're doing moon based theta, it's tardigrades.
1: Oh, man. Yes. That is all DJ. DJ became obsessed with tardigrades. And I mean, they're great. Who doesn't love a water bear? Um, But yes, that that's 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 its become its own strange running gag, and we have it on all sorts of merch and water bottles and anything your heart desires. Um, I yes, that that is we love our Tartar Grains over at Moonbase Data. All right, well,
0: thank you for your time. It's been an absolute
1: uh, pleasure. Thank you guys. Thank you.
0: And before we wrap up, I want to give a few notes. Our past interview with Kenneth Phage was our highest rated show yet. We doubled our ratings with that one. Well. And Phage um, reported back that we mispronounced the name of the town. It's Haverhill, Massachusetts. And Sean Donnelly, the author of a biography on another member of Lovecraft Circle, W. Paul Cook, also responded, Dear Mark, Ken Phage sent me a link to your interview about Edith Minotaur. I listened to it last night, and I think it's terrific. Ken is Minotaur's greatest champion, and no one else could have made such a good argument for the enduring value of her literary work and her place in the life of H.P. Lovecraft. The wealth and detail that he can recall in all aspects of her life in her work is remarkable. I'm so glad that Ken agreed to be interviewed. After listening to him speak for over an hour so easily about his favorite subject, it only confirmed my belief that Ken knows a 100 times more about miniature than anyone else does. And for listeners of the podcast, uh, you're going to get a new treat. Uh, Lloydicus has created an outro for us called Providence. Mm-hmm. And you'll be here for the first time on this episode. Unfortunately, we we'll won't be here for the, uh, for the live raw feed. Uh, but we will include a link to it so you can listen to it. David Richard, Mr. Kessler, I see the stars are no longer right. We must cease all discussions until they align again next month. 30 plus minutes of H.P. Lovecraft is sponsored by the Lovecraftian Sugar Eating Contest. See so if you can eat 10 times your body weight. This podcast was creating an association with the LovecraftPod.com and the Logan Speculative Fiction Group. with help helped the Logan County Public Library and the Great Old Ones. Special thanks to Katie Tyson for not being the dimwit of the den and Joshua Dukes for paying the video that killed the radio star. Until we meet again, may you avoid Princess Cthulhu who once asked Lovecraft how many shoggoths can dance on the head of a pin.